Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) (laughs) This past week, we have held out a bag of candy and given you an old favourite from the bottom of the bag. But today, we're bringing you something fresh. Keelan Patrick Burke is the Bram Stoker award-winning author of great horror titles such as Kin... Sour Candy and Blanky. If you enjoyed today's story, then be sure to go and check out his work at keelanpatrickburke.com or follow him at Twitter at, at @keelanburke or on Instagram at, at @keelanpatrick. Today's story is The One Night of the Year, written by Keelan Patrick Burke and narrated by Justin Fife. It's close to midnight. The old farmhouse around him expands and contracts like a living, breathing thing as he takes his place on a rickety chair before its dark, open mouth. The wood creaks as he settles his old bones, the barrel of the shotgun cold through the knees of his jeans. Beside him on the porch, faithful as always, sits Rufus, his salt-and-pepper Jack Russell Terrier. He is sitting up, ears pricked, Eyes fixed on the dark cornfield that hushes and sways in the wind, 30 feet from the front of the house. 
only the porch light is on. Caleb has extinguished all other lights inside the house. There's nobody else inside, so the dark won't bother anyone. There hasn't been anyone else inside that house for nigh on a decade now. The porch light is the only one he needs tonight anyway. When they come out of the corn, they'll come close enough for him to see their faces. Rufus growls low in his throat. Caleb reaches down and ruffles the back of his neck. It's okay, boy, he says, and the dog whines and falls silent. The cornfield continues to hiss and sway, a pale ocean out there in the gloom, hiding a universe worth of light from his aging eyes. The silver coin of the moon slips from the pocket of the clouds and turns the night monochrome. A chill breeze sends dead leaves skittering towards the porch. Rufus shivers, ducks his head as if cowed by the ease with which the night can turn unkind. Balancing the shotgun across his knees, Caleb fishes from his pocket a pack of Winston's. He offers one to the dog, who spares him only the briefest of glances before resuming his vigilant watch on the cornfield. With a slight grin, Caleb withdraws the offer and pokes a cigarette into his mouth, lights it, enjoying the sulfuric scent of the match, the sudden flare of the warm light, before all that is left is the gloom and the heat of the smoke in his lungs. He tosses the match out onto the dirt between the porch and the cornfield. Around him, the house groans. Caleb exhales the smoke into the air, watches the breeze whip it into frenzied ghosts, and closes his eyes. He is getting old, too old to sustain the kinds of memories that once kept him afloat. His mind has become the house, crumbling, dilapidated. The rooms empty, but for fading memories of the life they once contained. All of the color is gone, the wallpaper peeling away from the walls. The floorboards covered in dust his arthritic bones won't allow him to clean, even if he was of a mind to. All of the rooms are quiet now, and as the days go by and the years slip away, it seems not even his passage through them creates a sound. It's as if his presence was only measurable in the eyes of others, and in their absence, he has become immaterial. Cobwebs make cataracts over the windows, the sills flaking and rotting from within. Dust and dirt clot beneath the furniture. Only the pictures on the mantel have escaped the mildewing of the years, and only those because he tends to them daily. Rufus growls again, the growl rising to a whine, his flanks shaking for more than just the chill. Easy, boy. Caleb follows the dog's gaze, but sees nothing but the corn, the stalks hissing as they weave in the breeze. He looks around, but as always, there is nothing but denuded chestnut and walnut trees to the left and right the house at his back, the cornfield ahead, and an old man and his dog on the porch. The dog licks his fingers, and he strokes the frightened animal's head. There will be visitors this night, and both of them know it, and have prepared for it. This past year, Caleb has thought of little else, as his mind callously empties itself of his most cherished memories. His dear departed wife's face, his daughter's smile, the color of his son's eyes, there's little else to occupy his time. Instead, he wakes, feeds the dog and himself, and eyes the calendar on the wall. Summer, always his favorite time of year, has been reduced now to nothing more than a countdown to fall, to October, and Halloween night. The night they come to see him. And what would we do? 
if they didn't? He asks aloud. Rufus cocks his head to look at him, but in the absence of any kind of clarity, returns to his watch. It's a strange question Caleb has asked of himself, but he can't help but ponder it. The first time they came, seven years ago, he assumed them trick-or-treaters. Sure, it was not usual for them to come this far outside the city limits, and the nearest house was three miles east of here, but that only made their appearance all the more welcome. Caleb loved Halloween as a child, even as a teen, although his exploits during that period of his life ran to mischief, and as an adult, he had found it easy to be infected by the excitement that filled the house as his children and their mother created elaborate costumes from scratch. He helped carve pumpkins, fill bowls of water with apples for bobbing, played along with their blindfold games, and stayed up late with them to watch old horror movies on their unreliable TV. It was, though he'd never really realized it until now, his favorite time of year, with Christmas a distant second. Perhaps a childhood spent engrossed in horror comics, Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Fear, Eerie, and the like, had left him more disposed than most men his age to indulge his children in their annual celebration of the macabre. Not only did he tolerate it, he enjoyed it, felt a vicarious thrill as Amanda and Adam cavorted screaming around the farm in their monster costumes. But then his children had grown up and dismissed such childish behavior in favor of real-world pursuits. And now Adam was a doctor in Kenya, Amanda an editor in New York, and his wife Beth was ten years in the grave. In leaving, they had taken the spirit of the season with them, leaving behind a vacant hollow nothing but sadness and loneliness could ever hope to fill. He rarely heard from his children anymore, but as their father, he had little choice but to understand. They had their own lives, their own families, and though he would have liked to hear from them more than once a year, he understood too that wishes were whispers in an awfully loud world. He had grown accustomed to life on the dying farm with only the dog for company, and often that was enough. And then the visitors had come, their arrival announced by a hysterical volley of barks from Rufus on the porch. Caleb had initially assumed it some night creature having fun tormenting the dog, but when the clamor began to annoy him, his investigation led him outside, where it quickly became evident that he'd been wrong. Now beside him, Rufus stands the hair bristling on his spine, the thought of a bark bubbling in his throat. Caleb shakes off his reverie and sits forward, his hands resting on the stock of the shotgun. The corn continues to weave in the breeze, but now, somewhere in the middle of it, there is a more agitated sound, the swish-swish-swish of passage, the crackle of stalks being trampled underfoot. Clouds soak the moon, draping a veil of dark over the cornfield. Caleb rises, opens the screen door and fetches an old silver bucket, which he brings with him back to his chair. He sits, slides the bucket between his feet. Rufus takes a moment to sniff at the contents. He is mildly interested, but not enough to abandon his post. Instead, he stands at the edge of the porch and begins to bark, his head raised, body tensed, and leaning out as if already preparing to run. Caleb breaches the shotgun, checks that it's loaded, and snaps it shut finger resting lightly on the trigger as he swings the barrel out, muzzle aimed at the rustling dark. Abruptly, Rufus ceases his barking, 
There is silence then but for the breeze. Not even the crickets have much to say this night, muted by the introduction of something unnatural and unknown into their kingdom. Caleb holds his breath, wishing he had a younger man's eyes so that he might have a better chance of picking the visitors out of the gloom. His heart thunders in his ears, aches in his chest. One of these nights, he knows that that ache will become the final toll of the bell, and all of this will be over. He wonders if Adam will be able to make the funeral. He wonders if Amanda will weep. In his better hours, more frequent the further from October he gets, he likes to think that his children will miss him and mourn him, that they will not allow the mistakes he has made with them, and there are many, to define their relationship. He hopes they will not forget the good in favor of the bad. Almost soundlessly, the visitors step from the cornfield. Caleb feels his body tense, his arthritic fingers stiffening around the stock and the barrel of the shotgun. There are, as always, three of them. At night, as Caleb lies in bed with Rufus chasing dream rabbits on the floor next to him, he has often wondered if the most obvious and persistent conclusion about the visitors might be the correct one, but forever resists the urge to accept it. To do so would make a horror story of what remains of his life while simultaneously unraveling all the good that's come before. It is an unspeakable thing to consider, and yet it is never so compelling a theory than when he finds himself looking upon them. Two of them are children, one of them an adult, all of them wearing masks that look as if tonight is the only night they are not stored under wet clay. The same could be said for the clothes and the figures who wear them. My children, Caleb thinks, the thought of which he is most afraid, my wife. But of course this can't be true. Even if he allowed for the supernatural resurrection of his deceased wife, who he steadfastly believes has no reason to haunt him. Even if such a thing were possible, his children are still alive. Therefore, it can't be Adam and Amanda, dressed in those stained dungarees and rotten pillowcase masks. They stand shoulder to shoulder before the cornfield, unmoving, silent. Rufus whines, his occasional bark strangled sound. Caleb, eyes fixed on the visitors, reaches into the pail between his feet and grabs a handful of candy, which he tosses out into the yard. For the longest time, the trick-or-treaters simply stare at him, the eye holes of their children's pillow-cased masks revealing nothing but darkness. Then, with the taller figure looking on, they erupt into fitful giggling and attack the scattered candy, kicking up dirt and squealing in delight as each of them tries to get the lion's share of the fun-sized mounds, Kit Kats, Snickers, Milky Ways, and Twixes. Caleb watches them for a while, but can't keep from staring at the taller figure. Unlike the children, she is not wearing a pillowcase mask. Instead, she wears a pumpkin on her head, a sight he found funny the first time he saw it, until he noticed the candle guttering inside the pumpkin, illuminating the hollowed-out walls and nothing else. The adult figure does not wear dungarees, rather, a filthy nightdress, her small breasts sagging beneath the dirty white material. The nightdress is unfamiliar to Caleb, and for that he is thankful. 
It assists him in denying the awful possibility that he is looking at his family. The children finish gathering the candy, their giggles subsiding as pockets loaded with their bounty. They rejoin the tall figure, and all three look at Caleb. Rufus begins to bark in earnest now, his fear forgotten, or perhaps motivating his protest. He knows what's coming next after all. They both do. Caleb hoists the shotgun, the barrel resting on one outstretched wrist. The children stay where they are. The woman, the one he has come to think over the years as the mother, slowly approaches the porch. She looks from Caleb to the dog, who is frantic now, his outrage and fear echoing around the farm and carrying across the fields. Don't, Caleb says. The mother ignores him and takes a step towards the dog, her arms coming up as if to embrace him or snatch him from the porch. Caleb pulls the trigger. The shotgun explodes, as does the mother's head. The pumpkin blown to smithereens, the light extinguished with the life of the living thing from whom it was lit. Breathing hard, heart hammering against his ribs, Caleb stands and watches as the mother staggers back towards her children. They hurry to meet her, their arms extended in assistance, which she accepts. Headless, she falls to her knees, but does not fall, does not die. She never does. As the children fuss and fret over their injured mother, they find the time to look at Caleb, where he stands trembling, smoke still trailing from the barrel of the gun. A quartet of dark eyes study him, but in those elliptical slits, Caleb feels no reproach, no hostility. Instead, he feels sadness and pity, and somehow, that is so much worse. You can't have him. He's all I've got left. The pillowcases move as the children regard the dog, who again has fallen silent as he watches them with confused curiosity. You can't, Caleb says, in response to the palpable wave of need he feels emanating from the children. You, you just can't. Headless, the mother stands. Around the yard at her feet are fragments of pumpkin, still sizzling from the heat of the shot. She turns her body to face him. She stays like that for quite some time, the children similarly silent and immobile at her side. Pain flaring in his knees, Caleb lowers himself back down under the chair. He feels no victory, despite having fended them off for another year. He feels nothing but emptiness. You can't take Rufus, he mutters. And when he looks up, the fragments of pumpkin are still in the dirt, the smell of burnt pumpkin in the air, but the visitors are gone. Exhausted, drained, dispirited, Caleb sags in his chair, lets the shotgun clatter to the porch. Occasionally, he helps himself to some candy from the pail, but finds he can't taste it. Later, as if sensing his sadness, Rufus comes and leaps up into his lap, circling once as dogs do before settling down, his head resting on his paws. Soon, he is asleep. As Caleb strokes the dog's head, he looks out at the cornfield, the crickets are singing now, the moon returned from behind the clouds, bathing the field in silvery light. There is nothing to see out there. There won't be for another year, assuming he lives to see another Halloween. He hates to think what will happen if he doesn't. They can't have you, he whispers to the dog and to the breeze. Not yet. 
He lights a cigarette and leans his head back to look at what few stars there are to be seen. It is a promise he aims to keep. They can't take the only pure memory he has left, the only reason he has left to keep going. At least until he is done with it, or it is done with him. Only then will he let them take what they so desperately need to make their family complete. If you enjoyed this show and would like to see the other stories continue and get access to exclusive episodes every month, then why not head over to patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and become a patron today. You can pledge from as little as a dollar a month and you'll join what I like to call the cool gang. So once again, that's patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. Until next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.